Welcome to Life Off Screen with Dan and Peggy Rupel. Thank you for joining us. If you're enjoying this podcast, do us a favor and subscribe to the show and give us a rating. Life Off Screen is produced by Master Media International. And to find out more about Master Media or the Life Off Screen podcast, visit us at lifeoffscreen.com. And now here's Dan and Peggy. Greetings and welcome to Life Off Screen. I'm Dan Rupel. This is my wife, Peggy. And Dan, my husband here, is so excited about this interview today. So excited. I rarely use the word giddy, but maybe giddy. Yeah, giddy giddy yeah. fits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I grew up on uh, this gentleman's uh, music. Our guests are Richie and Nancy Ferre. And uh, Richie is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as mm-hmm. a member of the uh, very influential uh, Buffalo Springfield. He went on to play with Poco. He had a, a band with J.D. Souther and Chris Hillman, the, the Souther Hillman Furry Band. I don't know how they got that name. Um, <laughs> and then he, they're going to talk about their journey to faith. And I think you're going to just really enjoy uh, what they have to say. And especially, um, you're going to love hearing Nancy's heart because she's gut level honest about that transition and kind of where she was up to here and the changes they made and what happened when God got a hold of their heart. So stay tuned. You're going to love it. Yeah. So the lots to talk about. Let's just jump right in. Welcome, Richie and Nancy. <laughs> hey, Dan and Peggy. How are you? Very good. It's so great to have you. Oh, very, very good. Thank you so much for the invite. This sounds like something really wonderful that you guys got planned and are doing. It just seems uh, like a great idea. And uh, yeah. I just hope that uh, the Lord uses it to some great things for you. Well, yeah. we're certainly having, having a, a lot of fun. And uh, you're there in your home in Colorado. I, I can't think of really a better place if you have to be quarantined than Colorado. <laughs> Amen. I mean, Beautiful. We understand. I'm looking... 50 miles out there to the to the east right now. It's just beautiful, clear, sunshiny day. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I remember uh, I was recalling uh, the first time we met. I don't know if you remember this, but it was, I, I'm thinking if I had the date right, it was New Year's Eve, 1978. And we were playing the Paramount Theater in downtown mm-hmm. Denver. Oh, wow. And it was with Tom Stipe, Calvary Denver at the time. And Isaac Air Freight, my comedy group was opening, and then you were uh, headlining, as rightly so. And, uh, and then Tom followed with a, and then uh, Tom followed with a message. Uh, and, and, and I remember uh, it was the first time I met you. I remember also meeting you, Nancy, backstage. Mm-hmm. We were we were chatting before uh, the evening uh, proceeded. And who knew? Two years later, just two years later, yeah. we moved to Colorado and. Uh, Dan came on as associate pastor at Calvary Chapel with Tom Stipe, who was a bandmate at one time, right? And uh, and that's where we got to kind of interact with you both more. It was a blessing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so it's a little bit of old home weight. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, what we want to do today is we want we want to talk about your faith journey, your 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 marriage, your family, etc. But we want to start with your musical journey. So um, so let's go back, Richie. You're a Buckeye. You were raised in Ohio. Yes, I am. Yellow Springs, yeah. Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I was born in L.A., but the entire Rupal family's Buckeyes. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all from uh, Ohio. My, my brother, my parents, all my aunts and uncles are from oh, the Canton area. Canton? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, did you grow up in a musical family? What was kind of your influence or the spark of your musical passion? Yeah, it wasn't really a musical family. I mean, my, my mom sang in the, in the church choir. My dad liked 
music. And that's where I really, you know, got a lot of, I think, my influence because he, he would, um, I don't know, there would just be music on the radio. You know, yeah. and he bought my mom a tape recorder and I confiscated that, you know, and <laughs> put on the radio and just tape songs and all. But I mean, as far as music, uh, my sister uh, isn't musical. And I, I you know, it, it's, I don't know where it came from for me. It's just something that just spurned in my heart, you know, asking mm -hmm. my parents for a guitar when I was eight years old and yeah. wow. wanting, to, wanting to be like Ricky Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Now, um, what what drew you to like folk music in the early days? You know, it was mostly the commercial stuff, the uh, Kingston Trio, Peter, Paul and Mary, um, uh, that that type of uh, it wasn't the esoteric more stuff. It was more the commercial, the commercial mm -hmm. music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you decided I mean, the, the folk scene at that time was New York. Yeah. Right. Uh, Greenwich Village. So you, you yep. move out there. Was it was that kind of scary decision to go out the, to New York? You know, Dan, I didn't even think about it. It was just something I knew I wanted to do. Uh, our um, uh, school choir, acapella choir, was going to take a trip back to New York and do some, um, you know, do some concerts. And I actually had a ruptured appendix around Christmas time and dropped out of school. And my friends, Bob Harnelink and Nels Gustafson, you know, we'd already got this plan how we're going to go into the village and become the next uh, big thing. And here I am with a ruptured appendix and dropping out of school. And I didn't even know if I was going to get to go. And I finally, you know, uh, talked to the school and they, and they, as long as I would come up and, and rehearse with the acapella choir, they let us go. And so we went to New York in, uh, in March. And um, I can't believe it how my friend, Bob, uh, not Bob, but Nels, he just got us into these little clubs on a Saturday night when all these clubs had set entertainment and got us to be able to play. Now, the, the, the catch on this whole thing was got us to play when they turned the audiences over. I mean, what caveat? But it it hooked me, and so mm -hmm. you know when I talked Bob and Nels into going back to New York in the summertime, you know, let's go, let's go pursue this. You mm -hmm. know, it really didn't it didn't dawn on me. Even coming from a little town in Ohio, man, I mean, I had my sights on, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be uh, the next thing, whatever it was, you know. You, right. You know, Dan talks about going into the comedy groups, and he was going down there. 15, 16, 17 years old. And you think, where did you get the tenacity to do that? But it was just, just like you, it was that youthful confidence that uh, you just thought you could do it. So out of character for me today. If, mm -hmm. I, if it would be the same thing that I'd have to make a routine on today, I mean, it would be so far out of character. I don't even like to drive downtown anymore, you know, but <laughs> leave this little town and head off to New York City. I mean, goodness yeah. sake. <laughs> yeah, but, but while you're there, you make one of the most significant connections of your entire life, really, with Stephen yep. Stills. How did that come about? He was working in one of the little clubs that we had, uh, that we played in in March. And when we got back in the summertime, Stephen was playing in one of the little clubs. And yeah, we really, we hooked up and became uh, really good friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now the, the folk scene, certainly is starting to gravitate to L.A., especially mm -hmm. with yeah. Mr. Tambourine Man coming out. Right. And mm -hmm. it just kind of shifted there. I guess, what, Stephen went first? 
Yeah, he did go first. Actually, when we got to New York, um, folk music was pretty much really dying at the time. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, the the uh, the the group that we were in back in New York, um, when when it broke up, we were together about six months. And when when we broke up, Stephen went to California via Canada and met Neil Young. I went mm. up to Pratt & Whitney Aircraft wow. to hand out tools in the tool crib up at Pratt & Whitney Aircraft. <laughs> but um, uh, I, we all maintained a little apartment down in New York and Neil came in to, to New York to pedal some songs and that's where I met Neil. And, mm -hmm. um, but when, when you, you mentioned the birds and a friend of mine that lived across the street from me in New York, uh, we lived on Thompson Street, uh, Graham Parsons. Oh, he, another legend. He brought, he brought the Birds' first record up to me when I was working, living with a family up in Connecticut, uh, or up, yeah, when I was working at Pratt yeah. & Whitney, and he said, you got to hear this music. You never heard anything like it. And when I heard it, it was like, I got to get with Stephen. I got to be making music. This is really what I'm mm. supposed to be doing. And so I got a hold of Stephen yeah. and went to, went to uh, California, and that's when we started the Springfield. Yeah, yeah. The so, so you, you do Buffalo Springfield, and I mean, a, along with the birds, you're probably the seminal, most influential in the yeah. whole folk rock, country rock, whatever you want to want to call it, whatever term you want to put on it. Did you feel at the time we're doing something new, fresh? Uh, what would be ultimately influential? Well, one. <laughs> Once we got started, I, I think maybe, you know, we, we did. The first place that we actually played after the band was formed was the Whiskey Go-Go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, when we started, no one knew who we were. There was no one there. But by the time we finished a six-week little stint there as the house band playing with the Doors, playing with mm -hmm. Love, playing with a lot of uh, different little bands that, that got, became popular, um, I mean, people were lined up around the block and, wow. and it was amazing. And I think then we start, started to just think that, you know, hey, we, we, we might be on to something here, you know, because it was mm -hmm. unique. I mean, we had a, yeah. a pretty unique band. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely. did. I mean, I think about the four part harmonies that you guys really, that yeah. was a genesis of so much. Oh, it was a time when you could just explore and do it. I mean, we when you listen to the even the Springfield records today, there was so many different types of music that we did. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't yeah. just yes. one kind of music. It was it was a conglomerate, you know, of music. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you had real, you know, three real significant musical voices with you, Stills, and, and right. Neil Young, and which kind of brings me to. Uh, Epics right now is mm -hmm. running a documentary, two-part documentary, mm -hmm. Laurel Canyon, and you do you do some of the narrative early on in the episode, right. talking about Buffalo Springfield, and mm -hmm. then a, a transition to Poco later. Um, you know, Laurel Canyon was really the epicenter, <laughs> the flashpoint of this move. What was it about Laurel Canyon, the the mm -hmm. environment, the the diversity of voices com combining? Somehow or another, it was just the, the area that a lot of the musicians, uh, you know, lived in. Actually, Nancy lived in Laurel Canyon <laughs> uh, before we really? got married. Yeah, uh, she, was, she was living there. And, and um, uh, I, I moved in with Mark Volman. I don't know if you know that name Turtles. or not. Yeah, I saw him with Flo and Eddie at the Golden Bear. Uh, 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we played with the turtles and I was kind of like homeless and Mark said, hey, come on, man, come up and live with me is right around happy together time. And Nancy lived just down the street. This isn't where we met. We met at the Whiskey A Go Go. Uh, through a through a friend, but she lived. Uh, she had a little house in in Laurel Canyon, just down the street from uh, oh from where goodness. Mark. Yeah, Mark was. Wow. Wow. Well, I just know watching the doc. I was just um, I was taken back by so many things. But you know, beyond even just the musical experience of you guys all kind of gelling together and everybody being located in that area because it was cheaper. There was something about that having having commute being in community sure. that helped. You know, it, it didn't seem to as uh, you seem more collaborative than competitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that's what and you know, I think at the time, I think that was really true. I think mm -hmm. we were all for one and one for all. Hey, you know, when Mark brought home the acetate for Happy Together, you know, I mean, I was excited just to sit there. We were having a great time just listening to it, and you know, and so I think you're 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 right, Peggy. We were just mm -hmm. kind of all all for one and one for all. There, it was it was really a lot of fun. It yeah. was a great to be making music yes very yeah. special and so nancy so where is it that you come in here in this story <laughs> moving down the street <laughs> go ahead tell a story honey <laughs> well um my boyfriend before him told me to go see this really good band at the at the whiskey a go-go and mm -hmm. i went and he was there <laughs> she's standing in front of the stage you know and and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd had my, I didn't want to wear my glasses at the time, and but yeah. there was this, there was this really, really fine-looking blonde chick that was just standing right in front of me, man, and I would sing, sit down, I think I love you to her every night. That's <laughs> awesome. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, now, my now, gosh. Nancy, were you born and raised in Los Angeles? Uh, yeah, in Granada Hills, in the yeah. San Fernando Valley. Yeah, and what took you to Laurel Canyon? Um, I just... I, I don't know. My girlfriend and I were going to the Sunset Strip, you know, going to clubs and stuff. Actually, I guess the boyfriend that I went with before Richie um, was a musician. And I mm. think he was the one that introduced me to the Strip. And then we broke up. And then Pam, my girlfriend, and I wanted to move. I only lived in Laurel Canyon for six months. I mean, oh, I see. But it was a good, a good six months to be yeah, there. Yeah. It was six months. And, and the reason I moved home was because he'd asked me to marry him and we mm. wanted to save money. So I moved back home with my mom. And your folks weren't skeptical for this musician guy coming on the scene. Yeah, hippie musician. Um, so my mom was a little bit skeptical, but the minute she met him, I mean, gosh. Yeah. You loved them. Who wouldn't? <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> yeah. Well, well. To, to talk again about uh, Buffalo Springfield. I mean, highly influential, but a very short uh, shelf life. You were together what two years and what three yeah. albums, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, impossible. So, so with Jim Cena, you form Poco, uh, which is another seminal group. And did did you have a different vision for what Poco should be versus Buffalo Springfield? Yeah, um, simply because I think Jimmy Messina and I, you know, we'd become friends and Jimmy had, I think, a bit of very country influence. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when the Springfield, you know, there were nine people in and out of the Springfield in that two year period of time. Wow, that's a revolving door. I mean, every time Neil left or Bruce would have problems with them, because there were three Canadians in the band. Steve and I were the only Americans, and and um, uh, so every time somebody would leave, you know, we would try and re 
replace him, but it, it was just almost impossible to, it, to, to replace the original five members. That was really what mm. was the unique group. That was the group that was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Jimmy probably came the closest. He was an engineer of ours uh, at Sunset Sound, and uh, Jimmy and I just struck up a friendship. And so um, in my heart, as long as Steven was in the band, I was going to be in the band because Steven and I had, you know, a different relationship, I felt, maybe than mm -hmm. you know, anyone else. And uh, even though Neil was in and out and Bruce had his problems, as long as Steven was there, I told myself, you know, I'll, I'll continue. And but when he made because it was his band. And don't let anybody ever kid you that the Buffalo Springfield was anybody. It was Steven's band. He was the heart and soul mm -hmm. of the Springfield. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. But when he left, you know, Jimmy and I, you know, we just, uh, we, we were on a Beach Boys tour. And we kind of saw things happening, you know, the, mm -hmm. this isn't going to go much longer. Mm -hmm. And um, we said, let's just start a, you know, we'll start another, another group. I had written Kind Woman during mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. And we were looking for a musician to play the steel guitar on, on that song. And um, it happened to be a, a road manager of, of ours that recommended um, Rusty Young. And so when Rusty wow. came out and played, then the, all the pieces started to come together. He brought George Grantham in, who was a good, who's a singing drummer. And then we were just looking for bass players. And, you know, we auditioned Randy Meisner and Timothy uh, B. Schmidt on the same day. Oh, you're kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So then once we filled in, once we filled in, uh, you know, the, that, slot and we were we were off and, and running somebody yeah. probably didn't know that i won't say audition for the band but kind of we were looking at maybe joining the band was greg allman is that right really yeah, he was hanging around town uh, his brother had gone back to atlanta Dwayne had going back to atlanta or making or somewhere in georgia yeah. And um, it was it was interesting because just I mean almost simultaneously after we had um, you know talking to Greg about you know being a part of the band, his brother called and said, "Hey, you get back out here to Georgia. I got something going on right now." And that's when Greg left and they started the Almond Brothers. But anyway, okay, you know, well, that, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, it's nope. amazing. And you you mentioned Randy Miser and Timmy Smith, which in different eras they went and be the bass player for the eagles and but there just yep. seems to be all these interchanging parts with all the bands back then it's it's amazing uh, community mm -hmm. but now you go you're in poco through uh, what the crazy eyes album i think something like that yeah crazy eyes was the last one mm -hmm. yeah and then um you hooked up with jd souther and uh chris hillman chris. now at that point that's when you're you're starting to struggle right in, in your marriage and in maybe in life? life? Life in general. I mean, I was being driven at the time. Uh, I was watching a lot of my friends go off to rock and roll success. Mm. And, you know, I was really kind of, you know, at that particular time, you needed an AM record in order yeah. to put your career in maybe a different mode. And when we released Good Feeling to Know, we were confident that that's the song that was going to, you know, catapult us out of where we, we were. We had, we, everywhere we played, it was a lot of gymnasiums and colleges and this. We had no problem, you know, drawing people, but we couldn't get radio airplay. Mm -hmm. And right at the time that we released A Good Feeling to Know, Take It Easy came out. Oh. And it became just a giant. And I just got 
you know, I, I just became very discouraged. I was, like I said, I was being driven at the time. Mm -hmm. And I called David Geffen, who was a friend of ours at the time. We were, uh, he was working, you know, kind of behind the scenes with us. And I just asked him, you know, hey, look, it doesn't look like this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And got any suggestions. And that's when he said, you know, Chris is looking for something to do. And J.D. Souther, great songwriter. Let's just put together another Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I'm mm -hmm. thinking to myself, that's all there is to it. I've been at this for six years. That's all there is to it. <laughs> you know? so something else is happening. But, yeah, that's how, um, you know, we met. And, and um and uh, my life, though, was just falling apart. I had no idea what was going on. I mean, it was just, it was crazy at the time. Um, that's all I, you know, I mean, maybe Nancy would add something to it. I remember SHF was uh, rehearsing over in Aspen, and I had asked, you know, we, it was like a two-week vacation for her to come over there, and she didn't even want to go. Yeah. And um, uh, in the meantime, and leading up to this, she's become a believer. I didn't oh, know. okay. I mean, I didn't even know it. And Nancy, let, let, let's pause that. What happened? What was the circumstances of you coming to faith? Well, in um, with the band Souther Hill and Fure, there was a guy named Al Perkins in the band. That's right. who led Gucci mm -hmm. to the Lord. And he would he and his wife, Debbie, gave us tapes and books to read. <laughs> and in the middle of, I, I think it was Satan is Alive and Well um, by Hal Lindsey. And in the middle Lindsay. of the book, there's yeah. a little, you know, get on your knees and pray. And <laughs> I did it. And I became a Christian. And I, our marriage, we were struggling. It was hard, you know. Yes. And I thought, ooh, I can get out of this. I'm a Christian and he's not. <laughs> no. Escape clause. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you can continue now. <laughs> <laughs> any children at this? Any children at this point? Um. Yes. And yeah. and I was pregnant with our second. Okay. Lots of change. Yeah. yeah. We had a four-year-old. Let me. Timmy would have been four, I guess, because she's almost five. Yeah, five years. Mm. Yeah, and I was pregnant with our second, and I just I figured, mm. I hope this other baby is a girl and. I'm just going to leave and, you know, live my life. And then he became a Christian. Yeah. And I was very unhappy. Sucks darn. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. So, so we were rehearsing over, we, we were in Aspen rehearsing and, and, and Al called me up on, you know, Al, Al had a mode, a mode of operation. And he did this over and over again. He would, you know, we'd either invite him over for dinner. They would invite He and his wife would invite us over for dinner. And after dinner, it would always be, let's pray. And you want to accept the Lord. And it would always be no, you know, and all this. But one day he called me while we were rehearsing in Aspen. And I just heard this little check in my spirit. Hmm. tonight's tonight you're gonna do it you know wow. and he called and and when I called Nancy to tell her that I had accepted the Lord because by this time I mean I knew she had accepted the Lord. I mean mm -hmm. that was yeah there's other things that went up to letting leading up to this but there was dead silence on the other end of the phone I was so upset <laughs> it was because now she wasn't able to her, her escape clause is gone <laughs> Oh wow! Is that something? Wow. Yeah. yeah. But when she uh, when she came over to pick me up, you know, to to come back home, you know, because after our um, after our rehearsal time over in Aspen, um, 
you know, it was the longest ride from Aspen back to Boulder. The, and it was cold. It was just awful. I mean, I don't mean cold weather-wise because this yeah. was the middle of July. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it was cold. And, and it was there that she just said, hey, I want a divorce. And uh, mm -hmm. bingo, that's when Al, I called out. I couldn't even talk to Al. I was so I was so devastated, you know, and, and he said, well, come on out to California and, you know, we'll just try and see our way through it. And that's when he took me down to Calvary Chapel and mm -hmm. I started meeting all kinds of, uh, you know, good friends down there and, and, and all. But uh, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a it was it was a tough time. We had been married for seven years mm -hmm. and we separated for seven months. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was it was one of the most difficult times. I think I had every counselor in the world. Nancy, can I ask you, in those seven years, what or seven months, right? What made the difference? What happened in your heart? The Lord, I, because I I was just a new believer, but I knew that if I did what God wanted me to do, if I followed God's will, things would work out much better for me even though I didn't want to, you know, my heart wasn't in oh, it. Yeah. And I, I basically willed myself to do what God wanted me to do. And he restored, mm. you know, my love for him, mm. you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like just flipping a switch. No, no. no. It, it was I mean, just months. Getting started again. It was hard. You know, it, was, it, was really was, hard. Uh, it was a challenge. God starts healing your marriage. You're both uh, have come to faith. And it, it, are you questioning whether to return to music? And if so, do you now as a Christian, are you thinking, I need to reapproach music as a believer? I, I was definitely, uh, when, when Nancy and I got back together, I really didn't have much of an idea that I was going to get back into music. Hmm. Um, but it seemed like everybody that I was meeting at Costa Mesa you know, was in the music business, you know, mm -hmm. and, and or had a little groups together. And, and so uh, one thing led to another. And, um, uh, you know, we, we did, I've got a reason. And uh, I mean, if you remember on a line on, on, in that album or on that song is music was my life and finally took everything. Ain't it funny how you got it all and not a thing. Dang. And that's where I was at. And I was, you know, it was like, I really didn't have any intentions of going back into music, but I did go after it with three albums with, uh, I've got a reason dance a little light and I still have dreams. I, 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 and, and it just seemed like, you know, nothing, nothing would take off. It reached into the top, 40, but even at that, you know, just nothing was really happening. And that's when, interestingly enough, uh, I, I got a hold of Tom Stipe. And uh, I, I told Tom, you know, hey, Tom, I'm not sure really what's going on here, but I think, you know, the Lord's leading me in some other directions. And I, I, I think, you know, maybe we might start a little home Bible study. And I think maybe, you know, we'll see where the, the Lord wants to go from there. He says, well, you know, man, that's a 10-year commitment. A 10-year <laughs> I don't know if Tom ever remembers that. Yeah. It was a life commitment. Right, 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 right. So yeah. It was a 10-year commitment. You know? Well, yeah. he was easy on us because three, two years into our commitment as, oh, yeah. as, a, as, a, as a, on his, on three his years. past three years, three years, on his pastoral staff, and we had all this industry stuff that was happening, pulling us back into the entertainment field. And we took Tom Muriel out to so, dinner. Yeah, and they, they sent us packing with blessings. So what does that yeah, say we, about we, us? We said, uh -oh. we, we, feel, no. <laughs> we feel the Lord's calling us back to Hollywood, and we thought they were going to go ballistic, you know? And, uh, 
and uh, Tom, Tom gave me some of the best advice. Yes, he he says, you know what, Dan? He says, you should go. Mm-hmm. He says, there's a lot of people who God is calling to be a pastor, but there's few that are calling them to be Christians in the entertainment industry in Hollywood. I know when I became a pastor, I mean, I had all the encouragement from so many of my pastor friends in, in California. I mean, from Greg and yes. uh, Lori right. and, uh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, just people that were just, I mean, Mike Mack and they were all just encouraging me, mm-hmm. you know, to don't let music go, man. You, I mean, God's giving you a, a gift and talent, so don't let that go as well. Uh, with the church, it was maybe a little different situation at the first, you know, because they, they were afraid for their pastor to be, um, you know, to be going off into the world doing things. They thought, oh, man, mm-hmm. he was a double-minded man, you know, unstable in all of his ways, and this and that and the other. And it was a struggle at first. As, as the church and as churches do, as they, as they overturn and, and people get to know you even better, or the church becomes more of a, of a family situation, because our church has never been really big, was never big out here. It's about, you know, I mean, 250 at the most, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but people would come and they would see us play, and they would see that our testimony never changed. Going back to um, your album, I've Got a Reason. Uh, Uh This was profoundly impactful in the life of my husband. I want you to tell that. Because I I just want you to know that it um, was so instrumental in my life as well. Yeah. Well, I've I've told you this a couple times, Richie. I don't know if Nancy's heard it, but um, in in, uh, early 77, uh, I was I was playing the troubadour. I was playing all the the clubs, doing comedy, and I felt this this what I later interpreted the, the voice of the Lord saying, "You need to mm-hmm. seek God. You need to seek a relationship." Mm-hmm. And I looked at the Baha'i faith, found it empty. I looked into spiritualism, found it empty. And then, being a, a real folk rock fan, I heard Jackson Brown's album. I've got a uh, uh, pretender, and oh. I just wore that out. I play, it's a masterpiece album, but it's all about disillusionment. Mm-hmm. It's all about follow your dreams until they shatter. It, it was just, it, it was basically, you know, you just live your life and then you fall off a cliff and there's, there's no purpose right. or meaning. And then we got in, I've got a reason. And I knew you because of Poco and Buffalo Springfield. So I immediately, and then I wore out your record. And it had <laughs> such a profound effect because it was such a unique pa- counterpoint to the pretender, and it was saying, I've got a reason. Mm -hmm. I've got a reason, and that's what I was looking for. I wasn't in crisis. I was looking for purpose in life, for meaning. And then shortly thereafter, I I came to the Lord. But So it had such an impact when I came to the Lord. And the thing about it is, and I know you and I have talked, you, you know, <clears throat> sometimes you, you want, I remember those are the days that with a Christian album, sometimes Christians would count the times you said Jesus <laughs> in the lyrics. And if you didn't right. meet a quota, I know they did it with our records. If you didn't meet a quota, uh, it wasn't Christian, you know. Thanks, but, Don. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But one, thing, one of the things that really resonated with me was it wasn't an overtly, you know, in your face, but it was doing what Jesus did with the parables. Yes. It gave me a glimpse of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. It, it said Praise in this, you know, in this mm-hmm. album, I'm giving you glimpses of what it is to be a child of God mm-hmm. living in the kingdom life. Yeah. So I want to thank you yes, publicly. I'll, and I want to thank you. It is part well, of this testimony. Always. I want to thank you too. I mean, just for giving me that encouragement. Cause sometimes, you know, you just don't know if you're having an impact on anyone's life with what you say. And, um, 
I, I know that 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 album, the, the word Jesus isn't on that album any place, but it's all over the it album. Is exactly. all over. He, is all, he is all over that album, and it, it, a lot of it has to do with Nancy's and my working through the things, or from my perspective, what was going on. And uh, I remember David Geffen uh, asking me when, um, you know, when when I was when I was recording it because we'd left SHF and still had a commitment, so I was making my commitment to him. You're not going to give me any of that Jesus music are you <laughs> and i said you know david i, I think these songs are going to really appreciate you know and the mm -hmm. album got reviewed quite well yeah, but it, it became i found myself again between a rock and a hard place because here you are pioneering that's what poco did we pioneered mm -hmm. we dug up the fallow ground you know and then along comes the eagles you know and they become well you know we're we're i'm, I'm plowing some ground because in 1976 there weren't a lot of people who were really doing albums like I did mm -hmm. with I've Got a Reason, and I found myself, I was too Jesus for the world and not enough Jesus for the Christian community, and it mm -hmm. kind of like, that was that was kind of like where that album sat for all those years. Nancy, this time you, you've, you've been married to this this guy who's been really famous in the music music world, um, legendary musician, You and and now you actually probably somewhat what pastor's wives feel in a sense that that once again he's on another platform how how did you manage that transition did you feel that you still had a voice or did you feel uh how, what was that like i don't know it just kind of i don't like the word but it kind of evolved <laughs> um, yeah nice uh i never felt like i i needed to be seen or mm -hmm. I was I'm his wife and mm -hmm. I don't know I've never wanted the spotlight it took when we when we first had church I don't know how many years it was before we had a women's bible study I knew that God wanted me to lead it but I was so hesitant and so nervous and you know just shy to do that that I balked at it you know and then finally I did it and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. It became the most flourishing ministry in our church. <laughs> really, That's a, amazing, amazing. And so your children have had to adjust to the to the stage of their father as well. What I mean, he's got a mic in on the music stage, and now he's got a mic in the pulpit. You so know, I don't, I, I don't think any of them even think about it. To I be honest it. with you, I mean, mm. do you? I mean, Jesse may a little bit because she sings with him. Yeah, right. she's our yes. youngest. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. He's just Papa, you know, I mean, he's, you know, it's, it's sweet to hear that because I, I, I thought that would most likely be what you would share only because in watching what I've read about Jesse, it's like that when, when a child embraces what their father's doing, rather than seeing as something that took him away from me. And obviously that took encouragement on your part too, Richie. Yeah. And that's a place in her life that, Beautiful word over her. Yeah. And is there a greater ple pleasure than working with your kids? Oh, if Jesse would not have been traveling with me over the last 10 years or so, I, wow. I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. It, it was the one thing that really broke up our, our family for a while because mm -hmm. see Nancy and I both, my, my dad died when I was 13. She was seven when oh, her wow. dad died. 
Wow. So we both didn't have father figures basically in our, I mean, we did up to a certain time. And when, when we kind of, when everything split up, I mean, I think I was thinking I was, I was providing for everything that she needed. I mean, we had a home, a nice home. We had nice cars. We had all the clothes and food and this and that on it, you know. And, but what I, I wasn't there. That's what she wanted. And I didn't know that. I thought I was fulfilling everything that I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And so that took, you know, the whole work of coming together and figuring out, you know, how do we make this thing work to, to move on once we got back together. And after that, I didn't think I was ever going on the road again. I thought when I became a believer and became a pastor that that was it. And, uh, you know, when we, when we did uh, in my father's house, it was, it was a turning point for some reason as far as going out and making music again. But I had to find the balance, you know, where I, I wouldn't be gone for long periods of time ever. Number one, I had not only the family, but I had the church. That yes. was my responsibility. So I had to balance all of that stuff out. And I think that partially was part of what kind of held it all together, making it work, you know, is that you wouldn't go out for long periods of time. Yes. And so, um, you know, and, and again, you know, with having four kids, um, you know, Nancy couldn't go out on the road with me a lot. So that's another reason why I just refused to go out a lot, yes. you know, uh, being a pastor, for 35 years and then uh, going out and, and playing music, the latter part, probably the last, you know, 20 years of that. We, we can relate to that because <laughs> it has been um, media and ministry, hand in hand, yeah. our whole life. Sometimes, you know, those three years in Colorado, ministry, right? Yep. And then, but it has gone back and forth and that began with Master Media. Now that's the, we get to go encourage the hearts of those who Amen. see yeah. their, their, their profession as missional yeah. yeah well in uh what 1997 buffalo springfield gets inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in ohio in ohio uh, that's where the hall of fame is <laughs> and uh what what did that mean to you uh obviously to be honored and inducted into the hall of fame i mean it's a great honor you know you see your name written up there in that one little place up there with uh, Elvis Presley or with Ricky Nelson. <laughs> I want to say that, yes, it's quite an honor uh, to think that, you know, I could go from Yellow Springs, Ohio to New York City, being a folk singer and a playing rock and roll music to being a pastor and inducted into the, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's an honor. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It's, it's, it's a fleeting moment, and that's it. But you were really an architect that helped, you know, really uh, develop the country rock style that went on to be the Eagles, sure. um, uh, Jackson Brown, uh, Linda Ronstadt, all those. Yeah. So um, uh, that, it's so funny. You, like you said, you don't even realize you're just following what this unction. We're just doing it. We, I mean, we were, do, we were just doing it. You know, we didn't, yeah. I, I didn't think, okay, Jimmy, we're going to go plow some ground now for the Eagles who will be coming along in a couple of years. No, no, we were, <laughs> we were making music that touched our hearts and that's what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Build an audience at the Troubadour. And, and from there we went on, you know, and um, yeah, you, you're just doing, uh, it wasn't contrived to the point, you know, I mean, from yes. Springfield to Poco to anything, we just did what was, it was natural to us. Right. Mm -hmm. Never right. had to be, you do what somebody, we want you to sound like so-and-so. We want, you know, you, That's that never happened. you know, we were always 
pioneering. We were always starting the, the you know, whatever yeah. we did. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we wrap up, I want to circle back to, to Laurel Canyon and, um, and talk to you about the role music plays in our cultural narrative. You know, um, time in the 60s, a lot of turmoil, a lot of division, a lot of things going on. And Buffalo Springfield literally alerted the nation there's something happening here you know and we an are anthem. an anthem and we're in similar times now we were very very polarized a lot of angry voices um and then pandemic hits and now we're quarantined and we're out of our social rhythms uh and then the tragedy of mm -hmm. the the george floyd death mm -hmm. which alerted the nation to we better deal with racism Mm -hmm. It's been lingering since the foundation, before the foundations of the nation. Mm -hmm. um, so as a Christian, how do you see the role of music in speaking to what is going on culturally uh, in any given time? Well, music is a universal language. I mean, it doesn't matter if people understand uh, you know, English or whatever, you know, it's, it's music. I think the God created it so that, you know, our, our spirits would be touched. And, and, you know, some people are touched by lyrics first. Some people are, are, are attracted to the rhythm. Some people are attracted to the melody, uh, you know, but it, it's like all together, it becomes a universal language. Now, yes. what you do with that, um, you know, is, is something else. You know, there are those, I believe that, that uh, I mean, everybody will personally probably use that to their own, their own benefit. However, they're viewing what's going on, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like protest music. Well, that's all folk music was a lot of times. It was just protest <laughs> yeah. music, you know. Right. Yes. Uh, of, of the, I didn't realize that at the time. <laughs> yeah, and poetry. Yeah, but but that, that that's what it was. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, boy, you know, you you talked about living in. Uh, some pretty uh, pretty dangerous times today, man. I think I think it's more dangerous today than it was in the '60s. How we navigate through it, the only way we can do it is to keep our eyes on Jesus. If we didn't keep our eyes on Jesus, you know, we'd be wandering aimlessly without purpose or direction constantly. It's pretty remarkable mm -hmm. how God continues to speak um, through song. Well, we're we're so so thankful for you guys. We're yes. thankful for your music which you have dedicated to the Lord, mm -hmm. and it speaks hope, it speaks faith, it speaks that there is a reason uh, mm -hmm. way beyond you know, our, our purposes uh, of mankind. And uh, we appreciate who you yes. are uh, as, as believers, as a married couple, as parents, as grandparents, mm -hmm. and uh, we, sure, we, just, we just love you guys and are so thankful we had this uh, time to talk. Yes. Well, thank you so much. You know, God has uh, blessed us. I mean, 53 years for us, four daughters, uh, three grand, or three uh, son-in-laws, and uh, uh, 13 grandkids. What? Wow. What? So, the joy of our life. Yeah. We've got seven. And awesome. flip the cards. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're grateful that and Nancy, too. Thank you yes. so much. It's been a you. wonderful time. Thank you so much. Bless you. Oh, bless you. We'll be praying for this, uh, all these uh, going out to just touch people's lives, man. It's a, it's a great way to just reach out. Thank yes. you so Amen. much. We appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Life Off Screen with Dan and Peggy Rupel. Life Off Screen is produced by Master Media International. 
Our technical director is Jason Rugg. Please subscribe to the Life Offscreen YouTube channel or subscribe to the Life Offscreen podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave your comments in the comment section. And to find out more about Master Media, go to mastermedia.com. Thanks again for joining us. Hope to see you next time.